Welcome aboard the Fourth Watch, which is a series of podcasts sponsored by the good people at Fair Mormon, of which I, Ned Skarsbrick, your host, am a volunteer. And today we have the famous Nick Galetti. As a matter of fact, I can see him coming up the gangway. He salutes the flag. That's a good patriot. Now he salutes the officer of the deck. Permission to come aboard. Permission granted. It's nice to see you again. Good to be back. Good. How about if we did a little recap of the of the last podcast? What did we talk about last time? Do you remember? We talked about uh, doctrine. Uh, what is core doctrines? Things like that uh, relating to a variety of different things, including the word of wisdom. But uh, certainly core or essential doctrines. Okay, good. How about the term uh, doctrine? It's my understanding that doctrine is just one of those fancy words that means teachings. Is that your understanding? People use it that way. Doctrine is a word that carries with it multi-definitions just simply because of the way people use it. But I, I tend to look at doctrines are those foundational principles upon which the disciple should function and follow Christ. So uh, I, I tend to look at those as, as foundational and central teachings. Principles could be thrown into that for sure. Okay. How about if you were in a company? Could you say that the teachings of the company would be company doctrine? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would tend to think that uh, companies have a little bit more flexibility than perhaps a religion sometimes simply because uh, companies aren't there to save. They're there to learn and grow and progresses companies and shift with the market. Yeah, that's true. As a matter of fact, when I was in high priest group today, I was actually teaching the lesson. And so you weren't sleeping then? No, I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> we got, uh, that's one of the nice things. We got some Barca loungers for the high priest group. Wow, nice. Yeah. We had uh, somebody that uh, had a medical problem one time and they had to call the uh, uh, paramedics and they took out three high priests before they found the guy that had a problem. <laughs> so now, how do, how do we tell what are the core teachings and what are the appendages to our core teachings? Well, I believe that the core teaching, singular teaching, is, of course, the atonement of Christ. That's my understanding. And, and that uh, things that support or connect to that are appendages, such as things like we talked about last time, the sacrament, which helps us re remind us uh, of, the, of the atonement, of what it means to us, and therefore that is an appendage to that core teaching. Nick, what do you think about what are the core teachings versus just the appendages to those teachings? The core teachings to me have to be the core teaching really is the atonement of Jesus Christ. I agree. The, what is an appendage? Well, I think even the, the Bible talks about appendages in the gospel as being arms and legs, which is very appropriate considering that's where mo pe most people consider an appendage. Uh, an arm cannot function on its own. It has to be attached to the body. So when you deal with a core doctrine of the atonement, you have this idea that there are things like the sacrament, faith, repentance, things that are made effectual because of the atonement and how they connect to the power of the atonement. So therefore, those would be appendages to that core doctrine of the atonement. For an example. 
well, another example would probably be the I mean we talked a little bit about sacrament, but I think that repentance is clearly one of the things that a lot of people connect with the atonement. Repentance is of no real value, of no real effect without the atonement in place. Therefore, just like an arm cannot be sustained on its own, it needs to be connected to the rest of the body, the nervous system, the you know, the blood circulation, etc. Repentance is of no effect, it is of no value without its relationship to the atonement and its power. Yeah. So that's how they relate. Everything goes back to the Savior and his atoning sacrifice. Absolutely. Well, it should. That's right. There is no other way nor means whereby man can be saved only in and through the atoning blood of Christ. Everything else is secondary to that. Well, and, and to, to go further with that, um, I would say that uh, Bruce R. McConkie talked about the three pillars of eternity, uh, the fall, the uh, atonement, essentially the death of Christ and the resurrection, and that these different aspects uh, are all part of that core atonement, that one without the other. So even teachings about the fall could be related to those core teachings simply because the, the fall and the atonement are two sides of the same coin. I, I agree. That's great. As a matter of fact, I just got a, uh, a book from Alonzo Gaskell, and it's called The Truth About Eden. And it's about the doctrine of the fall and what really happened in the garden and the relationship of Adam and Eve to each other and to the Father and the need for a mediator to pay the price because they had fallen from grace. Absolutely. I have not yet read that book, but I am looking forward to it because Brother Gaskill does a lot of good work. As a matter of fact, he is really a bright individual. He's one of those people that probably have forgotten more than I'll ever know. <laughs> That's right. That's possible. Let's talk a little bit about what the critics of the church claim that we must do this long list of things in order to be saved. You check A off, you check B off, okay, I'm getting closer, I'm, I'm getting C and D off, I'm down to H and I now, maybe I'm getting good, I'm, I'm going to be saved. You know people in church that see the gospel that way? I have run into people that, that see, see the gospel not only as a checklist, but they go back to the uh, almost God points system or the, the spiritual bank account idea where good deeds are deposited in, in the spiritual bank account and somehow we, we make withdrawals when we mis make mistakes and we make deposits when we do good things. And uh, it seems like a, a very interesting metaphor and perhaps it helps some people, but I, I don't see much in the teachings of Christ to support such an idea. I, I agree. In the book of Helaman, uh, chapter 12, verse 23, it says, Therefore, blessed are they who will repent and hearken unto the voice of the Lord their God, for these are they who shall be saved. And may God grant in his power fullness that men might be brought unto repentance and good works, that they might be restored unto grace for grace, according to their works." Now, I find that kind of an interesting phrase, grace for grace. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? I think that at least my current understanding of what that means is almost um, like line upon line, but in a more 
divine kind of context where we grow more and more piece by piece like our Savior. And we take upon him, take upon ourselves rather, his characteristics line upon line and little bit by little bit. Well, that's good. I, I agree with that. There are some people that think that if I do enough good things that I'll actually earn the Savior's grace. What about grace? Do you think you can actually earn grace? Or is grace something that's given to us as a gift, unearned? Grace is certainly a gift. Um, It is not something that is earned in the sense that we are, if we do enough good, that we are entitled to it. However, with that being said, those good works, as it says in these two scriptures you just read, they are a natural outcropping of our desire and our our want to come unto Christ, to repent. These are the things that are the method, the, the pattern, the path, if you will, that Christ has established to receiving that grace. So it's it's not so much that we can then hold claim upon it, but that certainly is the path to obtaining more grace. Our works are a natural consequence of receiving that grace. We want to do things that reflect the Savior's grace and his love for us in, in the lives of others. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to what uh, was talked about, I believe, by King Benjamin when he said that there, there's a people that will no longer have a desire to do evil. I think that we grow towards that and we we have a greater and greater desire over time to do good works because that is part of how we can see grace in our lives. That's the, that's what will manifest itself as we take upon ourselves more of the divine characteristics of Christ and the Father. Good. I agree. Let's turn to 3 Nephi sixteen fifteen. Everyone out there, please open your scriptures. Oh, what, we're, not, we're not supposed to ask people to do that anymore, right? I know, especially <laughs> when you're driving in your car. That's if right. you're driving so, in your car and you want to look at the Scripture, please pull your car over and turn to the side of the road. All right, so give that reference again. Uh, 3 Nephi sixteen fifteen. All right, I'm there. Okay. But if they will not turn unto me and hearken unto my voice... I will suffer them, yea, I will suffer my people, O house of Israel, that they shall go through among them, and shall tread them down, and they shall be a salt that has lost its Savior, which is therefore good for nothing to be cast out, and to be trodden under the foot of my people, O house of Israel. It seems like to me that what we're talking about here is agency, our ability Hmm. to choose. We can choose for ourselves— and our choices have consequences. What consequences do we want? Well, I know in my personal situation, I uh, I certainly don't want to be as the ending group in this verse, the people that are considered good for nothing uh, or to be cast out. Of course, I, I would like to, the consequence of my choice is to be where I have kept my savor and that I am good for something. Good. Let's uh, let's go back to three Nephi six fifteen. Now, if you still got your car pulled over, don't take off yet. This is an important <laughs> part here. Am I right, brother Nick? Absolutely. There we go. Three Nephi six fifteen. 
What is the main doctrine or the core principle teaching of the world? To compromise agency. To compromise agency to take over, as it talks about in this particular verse. Now the cause of this iniquity of the people was this. Satan had great power unto the stirring up of the people to do all manner of iniquity, and to the puffing them up with pride, tempting them to seek for power and authority and riches and the vain things of the world. Money, power, and control. To me, that's the primary doctrine of the world value system. What do you think? It seems to be pretty summed up right there. And I, I think that part of that goes along with that is the sin, the universal sin as it's been referred to, and President Benson certainly talked about it, but the idea that people were puffed up with pride. Is there any such thing as righteous pride? I've heard people try and explain it that way. I just think pride is becomes the wrong word to use. I agree. You can be grateful, you can be thankful, you can be humble, but not proud. Maybe maybe they're using just the wrong word to represent a principle. It's like saying there's, well, maybe this is not a good example, but there's good adultery and bad adultery. What's good adultery? <laughs> well, good adultery is having sex with your wife, and bad adultery is having sex with somebody else's wife. Oh, see, I wouldn't have called it good adultery in that case. No, no. See, the people, I, I, in my view, that the word pride is something that always should be considered something that's negative. From the Scripture standpoint, there is never any reference in the Scriptures or in the teachings of the prophets where pride is used as something that's positive. Right. And I think that when you, when you combine it with the principle of honesty, there are things that, you are, that each person is good at, talents they've been blessed with, things that they, they, they have as a positive and good thing in their life, and it is a principle of honesty to be able to recognize those blessings when they've been given to you. But it's also going beyond the mark when you take those good things and think that you are somehow superior to others because of it. That, that's the point. You need to be humble. Now, we talked about what the main doctrine of the world is. What do you see as the main doctrine of the Lord in comparison to the world's doctrine? Christ died, was resurrected, and stands as our Savior to this day so that we might be able to have faith in him, repent of our sins, and come unto him. And by doing so, we will have essentially the opposite of what we just talked about. We'll have freedom, we'll have humility, but we'll have power in the right way. Power in the sense that it's done for good. And power is one of those tough words. Again, it's almost like pride that it's it's used in some ways that that's hard to, to nail down because of the context in which people use it. I think there is power in the priesthood that is a good thing. And then I think there is power in the sense that people have unrighteous dominion. And I think the power that is part that comes as part of the doctrine of the Lord comes from a righteous power, a power that is used to help and serve others rather than have others serve us. Great. I'm so surprised that you've done so well. I understand you're going to get a call from the presiding brethren to serve at, uh, <laughs> in, in general conference. Is that right? Uh, well, that's if I decide to answer uh, the phone. <laughs> I suppose, no, no, I, I've, I have heard nothing, and 
nor would I anticipate anything like that. I, I think when, if if I may say this, when we talk a lot about the doctrines, like in last episode and this episode, I think the key to remember for those listening is that I and Brother Ned are not apostles. It is not our calling to declare doctrine, but hopefully we our understanding of what is doctrine will help support a testimony of Christ and his power and, and the plan that he has set aside. So I still recommend people listen to those in general conference and, and understand that they are more uh, skilled at and certainly have a calling to declare those doctrines. I agree. That's good. I think we are uh, standard and uh, maybe average is not a good word. Uh, regular members of it's, it's, it's people who uh, sit in the pews on Sunday and desire to learn the word of the Lord to help us go forth in life, to learn the principles that will help us return to go home. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think this has been uh, time semi-well spent. <laughs> we'll give it a semi, all right. We'll, we'll give it a semi. and you can only Three do, out of five stars. That's right. So uh, – so we're going to close up shop here, and as always, the views and opinions expressed in these podcasts may not represent, reflect, or even remotely resemble those of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. They only represent our own opinions, and if they have value for you, please use them to help you bring yourself closer to the Lord, closer to your family members, to help us all return home together. Officer of the Watch, post the Navy hymn, sung by Sandra Schmidt, Bonnie Scarsbrick, Steve Hatch, and David Reese. Eternal Father, strong to save.